Well, greetings once again, dear listeners, and thank you for joining us here at the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, your host for the remainder of this hour, and you are listening to Datum Line. Today's date, September 15, 2013. In our previous Datum Line broadcast entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 24, we began a review of popular economic misconceptions built upon a double faulty premise that America had a history of gold-backed money and that once upon a time we were on the gold standard. In a nutshell, there is no such thing as gold-backed money. By law, gold and silver were declared to be the money, and as such, they were backed by nothing. However, the sinister notion of partially backing banknotes with money, gold and silver, was definitely employed against an unsuspecting public. As for the gold standard, what people thought that meant bore no relationship to the real world of bank fraud, where a wide selection of gold standards were contrived by which to steal our gold and silver, after which the central bankers could concentrate on general plunder and political control. For the purpose of our review, we selected a book entitled No More National Debt, published in 2011, whose author, Bill Still, is convinced that these and other myths are unquestionably true. But this should come as no surprise, since all of his intellectual adversaries seem to believe in them as well. In fact, when he was poised, years ago, on what looked like the opposite side of the monetary reform debate, he argued the same mythology but from a different point of view. This is just another example of a false paradigm wherein the menu selection was predetermined before we entered the debate, and both choices just happened to be wrong. The adversary is way ahead of us. Having launched a language manipulation campaign against the general population through the educational system, with college and university courses on economics designed to befuddle the best and the brightest. New listeners may think I'm kidding. So let's take a moment to review some old news from the business section, page one, of the St. Louis Globe Democrat. This from June 1, 1982, to validate my point from 31 years ago. Listen carefully. Quote, some of the nation's leading experts on money have begun very quietly to make what many would regard as an astonishing admission. They don't know what they're talking about. In this case, as it happens, they mean it literally. They don't know what money is in 1982. I'm going to stop right there. This was a feature article written by Louis Rukeyser. He was at that time the host for Wall Street Week which aired on public television. The title selected for his article, Just What is Money? Does Anyone Know? Of course, Mr. Rukeyser was joking, right? Every educated adult in America knows what money is, having begun to parrot that word from childhood. With most of us never looking it up, either in a law dictionary or even in a typical household dictionary. But Mr. Rukeyser continues, quote, Take George W. McKinney, Jr., a highly respected economist who is retiring next month, that would have been July 1982, from New York's Irving Trust Company. Is it then, I, Rukeyser, inquired innocently, that we just don't know what money is these days? Now here's the answer from a highly respected economist. Quote, Never did know, confessed McKinney. And then, while listeners to our conversation chuckled nervously, made clear he wasn't kidding. End quote. If a well-educated, highly respected economist who retired from a well-known financial institution admitted that he and his colleagues could not define the word money, then what kind of proof are you prepared to offer that there's any money in circulation. In our last broadcast, I offered to pay 100 pounds of free money, that's my nagging offer, <clears throat> to anyone who can identify what it is, an offer I've been making at least since 1980, with no takers. So 
So when I say that the author, whose book we're going to review again today, is, along with almost everyone else, a firm believer in economic mythology, this is not a statement that I make in jest. The fact that he has acquired an international audience and has been invited to speak in several countries only goes to prove that blind guides have no problem finding listeners who are equally blind to economic understanding as they are, if not more so. Now, for the general public to wallow in economic confusion is understandable, considering the barrage of nonsense to which they're exposed day in and day out. But those who profess to be teachers are held to a higher standard, as it says in James chapter 3 and verse 1. Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, James says. Well, what's a master? That's a teacher, like a schoolmaster. Now, being led astray by false doctrine is hard enough to deal with, but leading others astray is a far more serious matter, especially if the errors we continue to teach have already been brought to our attention. This, of course, is problematic, since the lines of communication are seldom open between opposing camps, each preferring to ignore and exclude other spokesmen not aligned with their preconceived notions. Having been ignored for decades by every populist with whom I've tried to dialogue, I've stopped trying. Evidently, experts tend to be rather conceited, to the point of arrogance. Try to correct us and see for yourself. We'll test your patience to the limit. That is, if we don't cheat you out of the experience by simply ignoring you. With that said, <clears throat> and pursuant to an earlier statement, today's message will pick up where we left off with a review of popular economic mythology presented by Bill Still, the producer of two videos entitled Money Masters and The Story of Oz. Although somewhat polished, these presentations likewise convey a boatload of misconceptions founded upon an economic vocabulary that leads the viewer in circles, despite some good information Bill has to offer. This is not intended as a personal vendetta or a vitriolic campaign to bludgeon a man who at least sees our economic dilemma as the most pressing of earthly concerns, as do I. We actually agree on more than that. But the errors presented here need to be addressed if we're to find a righteous solution to the problems confronting us. At this point, I should give listeners a heads up as to where we're going in this series, which will be brought to a close someday after I've addressed all of the pertinent myths encountered during the last 35 years or so. We'll then begin a series that focuses on a national and personal remedy to our economic plight, but before we do, I need to provide a question and answer segment, or even a series if necessary, so you can direct my attention to whatever misconceptions I've overlooked. For whatever reason, you've been quiet as a church mouse out there during most of this series, and I'd like to think it's because you clearly understand what I've presented and subscribe wholeheartedly. But that's my own ego butting heads with reality. The odds don't favor an audience being in 100% submission to anything, not even if God himself carves it in stone. Some folks out there have a yeah but that they need to get off their chest. So send those nagging questions to me at datumline2, that's all one word, D-A-T-U-M, line, datumline2, at gmail.com, and I'll try my best to address them during a subsequent broadcast. Is that fair enough? We'll go beyond that as well, of course. Today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 25. Welcome back to this segment of 
left atom line. Today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 25. On the uh, front side of this last break, or first break, uh, I mentioned that I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask any questions that you may have. I'm not saying that I can answer them all, but I would certainly give it a try. Uh, if there are any myths or misconceptions that you believe that I have overlooked. Now, I'm not finished with this series yet, and we've got quite a few more myths to go. Uh, and Bill still provides us with a good place to look for myths because he's got so many in there. Uh, I should also mention, too, that following the question and answer segment, uh, if you think that I have still failed to make my case, then I ask you to please let me know. And if necessary, we can have you on the program to explain why. Now, all I ask out of courtesy to me and our regular Datum Line listeners who have been following these messages rather closely is that you review this and the previous two economic series to see whether or not I've already answered your concerns. That way we won't waste a lot of time. Is that fair enough? Okay. Well, let's continue. <clears throat> And we're going to continue our review of several misconceptions presented in the book, No More National Debt, by Bill Still, uh, copyrighted in 2011. Now, this is a review that we began anew in our last message. I say anew because we address several other concerns in this book further back in this series. Since our current review was inspired by the gold standard and the associated myth of gold-backed money, we never got around to addressing the title or the book of the book, uh, No More National Debt, which is the premise and the focal point of an author. Of particular concern in the title is the word debt, a word used repeatedly by the author in the book. It's used repeatedly by every other author and spokesman of economic reform. It's a word used by media and academia, especially in the field of economics. But it's a word we seldom see defined, since everyone is evidently presumed to understand what this word means. Now, the presumption of widespread understanding is not the only reason for authors and spokesmen to avoid defining their terms in the realm of controversy. Precise definitions have a nasty way of limiting one's flexibility in dodging pointed questions. No one likes to be tied down by nagging definitions when a wide window of escape is open to the master of generalities. While you might expect economists and the bankers for whom they labor to exercise great linguistic precision, they've broadened and twisted definitions to the point of absurdity, and they have a selfish vested interest in doing so. While it only took 14 words to define the word barter, in A History of Banking in All the Leading Nations in four volumes, published in 1896, the author expended 1,112 words on the meaning of currency, for example. Spokesmen for economic reform enthusiastically draw from this kind of convoluted wisdom in their attempt to expose and rebut the fraud that's being concealed by the very same vocabulary. There's an ancient legal maxim from the Roman civil law that addresses this. It's in Latin, delosus versiter in generalibus. Now it translates, a deceiver deals in generalities. The result of redefining our economics vocabulary for over two centuries so as to conceal the legalized crime of nationwide bank fraud, the result, well, is the wholesale confusion that we see among a victimized public, an army of befuddled economic experts who are trying to steer our sinking ship of state, and all the blind guides of economic reform who draw liberally from the same wellspring of economic nonsense. Still think I'm kidding? Well, let's go to the Federal Reserve, particularly the Federal Reserve Board of Governors over there in Malfunction Junction. That's in Washington, D.C., you know. Let's take this quotation. For one thing, it is not clear how best to define money. 
economists, they say, have not been able to agree on the best definition of money. This is a definition. This is a statement from the Federal Reserve. Yeah, this is from the Federal Reserve System, Purposes and Functions, published by the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, Washington, D.C. This is from page 10 of their sixth edition, 1974. The word money has been around for a long time, but the experts are not yet able to agree on the best definition for what a leading economics expert admitted he and his profession could not define at all. So what is the meaning of the word debt, which appears in the title of Bill Still's book, No More National Debt? Well, we'll go to Black's Law Dictionary. You can pick just about any edition you want because they use pretty much the same one. They cite a definition from state versus Ducey, D-U-C-E-Y, state versus Ducey. Quote, debt is a sum of money due or owing. Well, gee, everybody knows that simple definition. All right. Have you ever tried to describe a sum of money due? It's a foolish question, right? It's easy if the money is gold or silver or something tangible, but it's not quite so easy if the money you're trying to describe is debt. See, see, the godmen of banking have been monetizing our debts, that's right, yours and mine, since the 1960s. That's half a century of manufacturing debt somehow into money. Have you ever seen the machinery they use to do that? And do you know where those machines are located? Let's go to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Quote, commercial banks create checkbook money whenever they grant a loan. Simply, I'm glad it's simple, simply by adding new deposit dollars to accounts on their books in exchange for a borrower's IOU. Hang on for a second now. New deposit dollars. Are deposit dollars made out of a gas, liquid, or a solid? What's the specific gravity of a deposit dollar? What color is it? Can you hear, smell, see, and or taste, or even touch deposit dollars? Well, they go on. Quote, <clears throat> banks create money by monetizing the private debts of businesses, individuals, and governments, and quotes. Okay, what's the word monetize? Monetize means to coin or fashion into money, which is probably why the New York Federal Reserve put the word monetize inside quotation marks. They know it's impossible to coin or fashion debt into money. But as mature adults, we understand spiritual concepts like debt monetization, don't we? So what bankers coin or fashion into money is debt, a sum of money due or owing. Where did this fabulous stuff called debt come from? It came from the borrower who thought he got it from the lender. It's a carnival game of smoke and mirrors where loan principle that never existed was created in the borrower's mind with the professional help of a brainwashing expert called a banker who validated the nonsensical experience by pretending to lend what the debtor promised to repay with the added penalty of compound interest. This is a highly sophisticated and complex process, you understand. And it's the source of a real dilemma for bankers when confronted with the definition of terminology used in their fanciful profession. Well, here's the music, and here's our next break. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you're listening to Datham Live. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. In an emergency situation, would you drink contaminated water? You could if you have the amazing life straw from MyPatriotSupply.com. 
LifeStraw is the most advanced personal water filter available today. It filters contaminated water from almost any source. LifeStraw is lightweight and compact, perfect for hiking, camping, or in an emergency like a flood. LifeStraw is easy to clean, comes with a one-year warranty, and has been used worldwide since 2005. Get the amazing LifeStraw personal water filter at MyPatriotSupply.com. Plus, check out Survival Seed Vault, 20 seed varieties for only $37.95, Tatler canning lids, long-term storable foods as low as $69.95, and much more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Enjoy stress-free shipping on all orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927 or visit MyPatriotSupply.com. That's 866-229-0927, MyPatriotSupply.com. For emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. What do you need? Hmm, you need Paracord. CampingSurvival.com is providing you U.S. Military 550 Paracord. 550 tensile strength, military specifications. Made in the USA. Available in 3,000, 1,000, 600, 300, 150 lengths. You can purchase yours now at CampingSurvival.com. Lowest prices on Paracord. Huge selection. All ready to be shipped. Black Paracord, 1,000 feet, only $39.83, right now on CampingSurvival.com. But wait, use the code FREEDOM when purchasing and save 5% off. Paracord is a unique material used for many different reasons. Get yours from CampingSurvival.com now. Confidence born of preparation, CampingSurvival.com. Welcome back to this segment of Datum Line. I'm your host, Bruce G. McCarthy. Today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit. And just in case you're not sure what the science of deceit is, that's the science of modern economics. And this is part 25. On the other side of the break, I had mentioned that uh, we were going to discuss and define the word debt. And the reason we need to do that is because debt, which is a sum of money due or owing, is what Americans use as money. It's the money they don't have. It's the money they never received. And it's the money that they will never pay out to anybody. Why? Because the Federal Reserve System, which is the origin of all of our so-called money, never put it into circulation. Now, that's a rather thorny problem for bankers when confronted with the definition for the very word debt. You see, if they should ever deliver a sum of this debt to you accidentally, it would no longer be due or owing to you, would it? And at that point, debt would cease to be money. (laughs) Well, gee, we couldn't let a banker demonetize the money just before we headed out the door to get that new car, now could we? Therefore, in order to keep this game afloat, No one can ever pay anyone, and in fact, no one ever does, and we've covered that in a previous broadcast. It's a game of compensatory theft, that's what I call it. The first party, that's the banks and Uncle Sam, they steal what they want with dollars created out of absolutely nothing. The second party, now this is where you and I get to play the game, the second party then uses these economic hot potatoes, what bankers call monetized debt, to steal from the next party in the downline. And this is how we get our compensation for the balance of trade deficit that we suffered during the previous transaction, a transaction we were taught to call an exchange. An exchange of what? Debt for wealth, which is an asset. Well, that doesn't doesn't impress me as being much of an exchange. It's certainly not a fair exchange. Now, Bill Still, according to his book, is concerned about the national debt. And aren't we all? Now, that national debt passed the $16 trillion mark in late 2012. To whom do you and I owe this vast sum of, as yet, undelivered money? And why do we owe it? 
If my math is correct, $16 trillion works out to a little over $6,000 a second times 73 years, which may help you wrap your mind around that number. Most of it is probably owed to the Federal Reserve and other banks in the Federal Reserve system because of loans they made to Uncle Sam. <clears throat> Catch that? Loans they make to Uncle Sam? You'll notice how Bill and other economic reformers use incomplete sentences like that, never identifying what the bankers lend or what Uncle Sam and others borrow or spend. That, to them, is irrelevant. But to people like me, it's the crime of all economic crimes. So I ask you, loans of what? Defined how? Based upon our linguistic analysis of monetized debt just a moment ago, this question may not appear quite so foolish to readers of Bill Still, who may appreciate a legally binding definition for a loan, because I haven't found that definition in Mr. Still's book either. <clears throat> we'll go to United States versus Neifert White Company. This will be found at 247 Federal Supplement at page 878. Quote, in order to constitute a loan, there must be a contract whereby in substance one party transfers to another a sum of money, end quote. I like that definition. First off, it doesn't take 1,112 words like the definition of the word currency, for example, in the history of banking and all the leading nations. It's simple and it's concise. It's understandable. So here's my nagging reward once again. 100 pounds of free money, if you can identify, that is to define, the substance that the Federal Reserve System, the substance now, that the Federal Reserve System ever loaned to us, either in our collective federal capacity or as individuals. This substance being measured in dollars and existing, therefore, in direct proportion to its declared quantity. Again, you can send that reward collection statement off to datamline2 at gmail.com. Okay. Now, the courts have said in the past that a creditor can only recover what he can prove that the debtor owes him. Bill Still, I'm sure, is aware, at least I hope he's aware, that banks lend absolutely nothing. But he cannot quite bring himself to condemning it as an unlawful practice, because that would be hypocritical. You see, he wants Congress to create money out of absolutely nothing as well. Using his words, quote, ideally, money should be valueless and ubiquitous, end quote. That's taken from No More National Debt, page 31. Uh, valueless or worthless and ubiquitous, which means it's everywhere, it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's all around us. <clears throat> if creating principle out of nothing was recognized by Bill as theft and therefore was a sin, then how could he justify giving Congress a legalized monopoly to create the principal sum and spend it. He wouldn't let you or me do it. No, his big concern is that banks charge interest on the loan of absolutely nothing and that the Federal Reserve Banks are privately owned, although private ownership in and of itself is not yet a crime in the United States. Fractional reserve banking, on the other hand, just might be. So let's restate the definition of debt. <clears throat> debt is the undelivered portion of an economic exchange. Does that sound reasonable? Well, let's try an example and find out. Suppose you and I agree to trade my horse for your wagon. But my mare is back at the ranch, <clears throat> and the earliest I can get her to you will be next week. Well, that's okay by you. So I take the wagon now, but I now owe you a horse. Until delivery, she constitutes the debt or the undelivered portion of our voluntary exchange. Is that a fair explanation? Okay, well, let's now apply this reasoning to the kind of debt-free money that Bill Still and other populists insist will cure our economic ills. He and his followers want debt-free, honest money, which... He says, quote, ideally should be valueless and ubiquitous. Well, the Federal Reserve notes are also valueless and ubiquitous, aren't they? <laughs> now, if I gave you $5,000 to 
in what look like Federal Reserve notes for a tractor that you might have uh, for sale at your yard sale. And I gave it to you in crisp $100 bills that I just happened to print for absolutely nothing. Would you call that a debt-free exchange where one tractor traded for $5,000 of honest money? Believe it or not, to some people with no frame of reference, that's a tough question. See, it would depend on whether those bills could be passed along to another sucker for something of equal value to the tractor and without going to prison. So let's try another example. If I gave you a coin stating that it was one ounce of pure silver and I gave it to you in exchange for an item that cost you, let's say, 50 bucks, which currently is more than one ounce of silver is going to go for in the uh, not-so-free market out there, and you later learned that the coin contained only one-tenth of an ounce of silver mixed with zinc, would you agree that 90% of what you contracted to receive was never delivered? I hope so, because the coin represented 90% debt, the undelivered portion of an economic exchange. Let's go a step further. During the 1980s, there was a state senator by the name of Jack Metcalf who, like Bill Still, believed that while Federal Reserve notes were debt-based, our modern carbon nickel tokens were debt-free. Jack was an avid fan of Susan B. Anthony dollar tokens, which are made out of cheap copper and nickel. Now here's how Bill Still puts it. Quote, Other than coins, that be our present-day copper nickel coins, and a few United States notes, we don't have a debt-free national money. <clears throat> this, taken from Bill Still's book, No More National Debt, page 24. So you see, he and Jack Metcalf agree that copper-nickel tokens are debt-free money. Well, I don't. First off, because the Treasury said that those Susan B. Anthony coins cost only three cents for them to produce although they were officially valued at 100 cents. Here's our music. Here's our next break. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you are listening to Bottom Line. of Datum Line, today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 25. On the other side of our last break, I was talking about the debt-free coins, the allegedly debt-free coins called Susan B. Anthony's. And I think there are some of you out there who might be old enough to remember Senator Metcalf. And this was back in the 1980s, and uh, he believed that they were debt-free coins. And I'm hopefully going to be able to prove to you beyond a reasonable doubt that they not only were not debt-free, they were, in fact, 100% debt. Okay, so let's continue. If you traded 100 cents worth of your labor to get a three-cent coin, because that's what the Treasury said in their brochures that those coins cost to produce back in those days, would it be reasonable to say that the Treasury had a 97% profit and that 97% of what you bargained to receive was never delivered? See, a Susan B. Anthony Coyne was in reality, using Treasury figures, a 97% debt coin. But let's go a step further. What did the Treasury pay three cents of to purchase a three-cent token? You identify the substance that they used to buy the copper, the nickel, the related equipment and labor necessary to manufacture Susan B. Anthony tokens, and I'll send you 100 pounds of that money absolutely free. You see, Susan B. Anthony's cost absolutely nothing from a monetary point of view, absolutely nothing to produce by the United States Treasury. And that translates into 100% debt. That's if you define your terms. Now, if you're not careful and you don't care to define your terms, 
and you, or you want to make up your own definitions as you go, which unfortunately is what populists do. And I'm not just making this up. They, they make up their own definitions for the words they use, or they just simply ignore definitions altogether. Uh, anyway, back around 1980, I had gotten a call from the United States Treasury in response to a written inquiry that I had made concerning the advertised cost of printing Federal Reserve notes, which they said back in those days were about two cents apiece, no matter what denomination, whether they were ones or one hundreds. But I explained over the phone to the official who called that the actual cost was nothing, and the official was dumbfounded. In fact, his next sentence blew me away. He said, quote, I guess we just never gave it any thought. So let's give this debt-free money idea a little more thought. If Congress created, let's say, $500 million out of absolutely nothing, at no cost, and that's all right with folks like Bill Still, you see, and then Congress gives it to a contracting firm in exchange for all of the labor and materials that it costs that company to build a federal housing project, can you explain why the undelivered portion of that exchange is not $500 million? Can you prove in clear and simple English how that could be a debt-free transaction? Let's go a step further. If I did it, could you still prove that it was a debt-free transaction? I seriously doubt it. Now, there may be those who believe that debt arises because of interest on a loan, and that by removing the interest charge, you somehow convert the principal sum into debt-free money. But the principal that is owed, even without interest, is also debt. The insidious part about loans created out of nothing, however, even if it's done by Congress interest-free, is that a borrower is servant to the lender and must exert an equal value in labor to repay what was created without labor, but which fastened a fictitious lender over the servant as his master. Add interest to this hoax, and debt repayment becomes impossible without someone else borrowing more principal that can be added to the nation's credit supply so that the first level of debtors might conceivably earn some of it to satisfy the interest burden. Debt, however, becomes perpetual, since society cannot return to a sole source, that would be the banking system, or to Congress, more than was received from the sole source. You cannot repay 11 eggs on a 10-egg loan when the banks or Congress own all the chickens. There was a time in the United States when both parties in a transaction delivered tangible wealth, and that was called an economic exchange. Goods and services were traded for gold and silver, which is also wealth. I know you can't eat gold and silver. I've heard the argument. Most everybody in my audience probably has heard it also. But you know what? You can't eat greenbacks either. And you can't even eat a shotgun. Although greenbacks in one form or another, and shotguns have been used to unlawfully get groceries. Since around 1965, it takes a minimum of two economic transactions to effect a transfer of wealth in both directions. Never is wealth delivered by the party who's passing raw numbers called dollars, either on a note or on a check or by way of an electronic transfer. Populists and other socialists say it makes no difference, that money doesn't need to be wealth. Indeed, as devoted follower Frank Maggio emphatically states in the forward to Bill's book at Roman numeral page 12, he says, quote, This money, next words are all capital letters now, this money must not be based on or bonded by any commodity be it silver, gold, oil, wheat, silicone chips, or cow chips, end quote. Yet this is the system we have now, which they propose to improve upon 
but without defining their economics vocabulary of continued debt monetization. While shadow boxing with windmills, they ignore this lifeblood of global tyranny. In our last message, we ended on page 25, No More National Debt, where Bill still said and first spoke of gold as being money. He said it twice and then turned around and said that we were on a gold-backed system, no less than three times on that page. But those are not synonymous. Yet they are treated in his book as though they were. So which was it? Was gold being used as money? Or was gold backing the money? There's a world of difference. But as I said, to folks like Bill Still, they are synonymous, can be used interchangeably. Uh, he does that quite often throughout his book. Sentence number five on page 25 of that book adds another compounded myth. He says, in a gold money system, bankers own most of the gold, and they just manipulate the amount of gold they loan out thereby controlling the quantity of money and the politics of the nation as well, end quote. All right. Bankers control the politics of a nation, I agree. But the rest of the sentence is faulty. First, is it a gold money system or a gold-backed system that he's talking about? In other words, was gold the money or did gold back the money? Second, if bankers own most of the gold, as he says, how did they get lawful title to it? With what did they buy the gold? Was it with their precious labor? With a commodity of some sort? Or did they acquire it with a banker's stock and trade called credit? Listen carefully now. We're going to go back to 1896, History of Banking in All the Leading Nations, Volume 2. Quote, For what is the commodity which a banker deals in and makes a profit by? He opens his place of business and has an array of clerks with their desks, ledgers, etc., he then gives notice that he is ready to buy gold from anyone who has it to sell. And what is the commodity with which he buys the gold? What does he give in exchange for it? His own credit. The commodity he gives in exchange for the gold is a right of action to pay an equivalent of gold on demand. In other words, his own credit. That, from a history of banking in all the leading nations, in four volumes. <clears throat> Edited by William Graham Sumner. <coughs> Volume 2, page 210. What does a right of action look like? Can you see, hear, smell, taste, or touch a right of action? Is it a gas, liquid, or a solid? No. It's fraud, folks. Well, here's our music. This is the end of another installment of Datum Line. I hope this has been of interest to you. Thank you for listening, and I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. Have a good day. smell some funky little things going on? Let me share this story with you. It's not so much a story, it's something I wrote years ago. Read your history, people. Stock markets collapse on Friday. Bank seizures, closures, holidays take place after business hours on Friday. Do currencies or governments also collapse on Friday? <laughs> Tomorrow's Friday. Will the end come on this Friday, or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people, and the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive if the stock market tanks? Look, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. 
My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge. And I'm prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balance protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for private consultation. Once again, our phone number 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste by going to rbnhemppaste.com. That's rbnhemppaste.com. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats. And even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, 
And uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee that's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumers' house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new Ease-Off Drop and Lift? What in the world is an Ease-Off Drop and Lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease-Off? Go to EaseOff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Ease Off, LLC, 417-932-6419. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Do you or someone you know suffer from chest pain, blood pressure, cholesterol, or irregular heartbeat? Are you looking for a more natural solution to overcome these health challenges? You hear the ads all the time. If this stuff's so good, why doesn't my doctor prescribe it? That's easy. Doctors are not trained in natural medicine. Extendivite Heart Tonic does want you to be as healthy as you can be. And it really works. Take Extendivite for six months and your doctor will say, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. It's working for you. Get the dependability of Extendivite. Just see how you feel in six months. A two-month supply of either capsules or liquid is only $69.95 plus shipping and handling. Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with 
Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilaji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilaji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilaji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. The secret to aging like fine wine is in the vines. Syrah grape seeds and skins contain high levels of flavonoids and resveratrol. Fermentation breaks these organic compounds down into smaller molecules, penetrating these therapeutic ingredients deeper into the skin, delivering faster and more effective results. Our handmade fermented skincare products are formulated with all natural ingredients and do not contain any phthalates or parabens. Similar products can cost as much as $180. At Natural Earth Medicine, we source our ingredients from local Arizona vineyards and cold process our oils to ensure that our customers receive the highest quality product in its purest form. Learn more at our website and try our fermented skincare products today. Visit naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. Kilad Atzman says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race, and the fact that race drives history, and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQ, RS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, you know. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's the Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead. And that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air and 30 years in this profession. Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. And one of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Moraine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at kettlemoraineltd at cox.net. Let me help you protect your wealth and your family today. Once again, call or text us at 602-799-8214 or visit our website, sierramadrepreciousmetals.com. Be glad to help you out. Be glad to answer your questions. That's what we're here for. No pressure. Just good, hard, common sense. The decision then becomes up to you. 
so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. But I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended.